When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. asking y'all to do is really be honest with yourself about your relationship with food and with your body right. and what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so that's really what it's about is like, you're not good, bad, right or wrong, but like, is your relationship with your body and is your relationship with food working for you? If you're really being honest. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, there's so much more freedom to be had yeah. and healing. Like you yeah. don't have to live like this. Right. Hi guys. And welcome to another episode of you need therapy. I'm Kat. I'm your host. And again, another great episode I am excited for you guys to listen to. So if you don't know already, I am a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and body image and exercise addiction. And I'm also somebody who's experienced a lot of that myself. And today I just wanted to jump in and give you guys the 101 basics of it all. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to what an eating disorder is. The types, who knew there were so many types? And guess what? You don't have to fit perfectly into one of them um, to have an eating disorder or to struggle with disordered eating. And I talk about the differences in body dysmorphia and distorted body image. And I think a lot of these conversations are important to be had and to be heard because there is so much that is just not known to the general public or understood. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this. Again, I have my friend Megan on in this episode to talk about this stuff with me. And she adds a lot of value to that conversation. Again, you can follow me at at cat.defada. You can follow the podcast at at you need therapy podcast. And you can go ahead and be part of our family by joining the self-love club by going to the website, you need therapy podcast.com and subscribing to our weekly newsletter that we call the self-love club. You guys can also check out our merch while you're on the website and just see what we have to offer. I hope you guys get something out of this episode and have a wonderful rest of your week. So it's Need a Week. Um, for you guys that don't know what uh, Need a Week is, it is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. There is tons of stuff going on this week around Nashville if you live in Nashville. So if you guys want to get involved with any of that stuff, 
I'll definitely make a post of all of the events that I'm aware of. So stay tuned for all that info. But our part is just doing an episode on on eating disorders. So with that being said, I first want to throw out there that eating disorders are extremely complex um, in a lot, if not most cases. Mm -hmm. So, um, and just like part of that, it's 95% of eating disorders are co-occurring with another mental health disorder, which that could be like PTSD, um, depression, bipolar, anxiety, um, anxiety like literally anything. Substance like that. addiction yeah. for sure. So it's, I say that just, we're going to be literally touching the surface of, of stuff today. So what we're going to do is do a brief overview of some body image and body dysmorphia stuff. We're going to talk about the types of eating disorders and kind of what they look like. And then we're going to talk about one of the most socially accepted and celebrated eating disorders that you actually might not know is a thing. Mm-hmm. So, or which, actually just want to, or maybe you be in denial about it. Yeah. You want it, to, you want it to not be a thing. I know for me and Megan, you can speak your piece on this, but this is, this is a very, very, very important episode for me. And this is a very important topic. And I don't just think that because I work with these people mm -hmm. primarily. I think this because more than likely you are, uh, you probably know somebody or you are struggling with some form of disordered eating or eating disorder. Like it's just the odds are in your favor for that. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is that eating disorders have the second, I'm going to say that again, second highest mortality rate of all mental health disorders. And that's only under opi opioid addiction, which is like, that's a really big deal. And really wild. If you just stop and think about that, like what you're saying is eating disorders kill right? more right. like the second, it's the second most deadly mental health disorder out there. Yeah. And also it's probably, I don't have any statistics for this, but uh, 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 Probably <laughs> the most normalized. Oh, yeah, um, and socially acceptable yeah. and celebrated thing out there, which is so. I think that yeah. some of the passion, like we both hold yeah. for that, is it's just like really hard to know that. Yeah, and you know, working in what was interesting, working in in treatment. I worked at a really cool center that had you could you didn't have to go there for eating disorder; you could go there for other things. But what we found is that it was so, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, not likely. So frequent that somebody would come in with one thing and have no idea that they're struggling with disordered eating or exercise addiction or body image. Like they just don't know. And so that's part of my hope for, um, just this episode of getting some information out and letting people know what's normal and what's not normal. Um, what can lead to what, um, because if we can, try to help other people identify these things. My hope is that we can essentially in the long run, save some lives. Yeah. And if not save people from some danger and some pain. And I think um, something like that's also important to know is the mortality are not, sometimes they are caused by the eating disorder themselves. And then a lot of times they're caused by suicides as a result. Yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> and that's a, a really good point. Cause I think some people think that like eating disorders are only deadly if you are like, like really severely anorexic and you have mm -hmm. low body weight. It's like, no, like anybody, like any kind of body can and be affected that way. Um, 
you don't have to just have super low body weight. And we'll talk more about that um, in a second. But anyway, I guess my hope is I want people to start being more scared of these disorders instead of celebrating them. Yeah. And Um, awareness. Like if we don't have awareness of what's going on, you can't change anything. Like how could you possibly mm -hmm. change something you aren't aware of? Mm -hmm. And so if anything through this, if people can really wake up to like, Oh, I have that. Or, Oh, I have this. Mm -hmm. And maybe get some help or some intervention at the front end instead of continuing to celebrate it, then things can actually change. Totally. Um, and then the last thing I'll just say before we dive into the details is I want people to start thinking or attempt to start thinking of all eating disorders almost as equal because I think some, like we said, some get really celebrated and some get um, this reputation of a form of like laziness mm. or something like that. And it's not that like none of these are that. And I kind of want to pull some of the shame out of some of the toxic shame out of some of that. So, um, yeah, because yeah. I'm sure like I can relate to that even in my own personal story yeah. of um, suffering with bulimia for so long. I would always think to myself of like, oh, if I could just be anorexic, like that would be better. Right. Because I would rather talk about how I don't eat. Right. Than talk about some of these other behaviors. Right. And so then there's all this comparison of like, I wish I had like this one instead of that one. Right. And when like, really it's like everybody's suffering. Right. And which we're going to come back to that when we talk about mm-hmm. the specific eating disorders. Um, but before we get into that, I kind of wanted to talk about body image first because one, eating disorders aren't just about body image. Like I think that is a myth out there. That is a popular belief that is just not true. Um, but the thing is the best known environmental contributor to the development of an eating disorder is a social cultural idealization of thinness, mm. which is just mean like our, what is it? Like promotion of like thin is better. So that's why I think that happens. Now, again, eating disorders are much more complex than body image, but I do think that like this has almost like that promotion has the bones to create a space for somebody to develop an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And which is even crazier if you think about it, like marketers are basically controlling the world. Right. Oh, because it's really marketing that's made the push toward thinness Mm -hmm. uh, being superior. And so when we really think about it, we are literally letting Mm -hmm. marketers and companies Mm -hmm. control how we live our lives and then lead to sicknesses. Right. And what I talk about with clients all the time is that like, we don't have to have the opinions. Like my opinion doesn't have to be your opinion. I think I even said this on an episode. Like Mm -hmm. you can think I'm like fat and disgusting and I can be like, okay, cool. I don't believe that. And so we also get to choose like if we believe this stuff or if we don't believe this stuff. But it's so interesting because in that, if marketers and like all of the promotion of beauty was larger bodies, would we want that? Like, yeah. then would we all be celebrating binge eating rather than anorexia and restricting? <laughs> like, isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah. It, well, I mean, but you can look back to, like, I always think to myself, like, I'm like, Dan, I don't know what era it is, but I'm like, I guess I go way back. But I'm like, <laughs> I would have had the perfect body for yeah. that for that decade or that time period. Like, yeah. more curvy, thicker. It's like that would have been perfect for that time period. And I'm like, but this one, everybody's decided the thing should be different. Yeah. So, yeah, it really is like even as we look around what's been celebrated in different 
parts or different time periods, it's been really different. Yeah. Um, or even I lived in Africa, Eastern Africa for a while. And over there, it's totally different what's celebrated in yeah. terms of body shape, size, that yeah. kind of thing. Which that's like a, for me, I think that's a really cool thing to be able to realize because that does allow us to have some power and it's really what we are exposed to. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be really careful about what we're exposing ourselves to. I did want to say this because I just think it's very interesting. Um, but I read on the interwebs on a loyal website. Yes. Buzzfeed. <laughs> no, this actually came from the Nita's actual website where they have like a lot of statistics and stuff and research. It. But they said by age six, girls especially start to express concerns about their own weight or shape by age six. I have to say it again. Yeah. Six. That is crazy. You are in kindergarten at age six. So you're already expressing concerns about your own weight and shape. And 40 to 60% of elementary school girls, that's 6 to 12, are concerned about their weight or about becoming too fat. And, of course, that just gets worse. Mm -hmm. But, oh, my God. I mean, I I know my stuff started in elementary school. But 40 to 60, that is like half to more than half of girls are worried about being fat when they really should just be like, I don't know, worried about enjoying their lives, maybe playing on the playground. Yeah. Going and getting who can get the swing first at recess. Like I, anyway, that makes me sad. So I feel like, and this might be, I want your experience with this too, Mm -hmm. because I am, I guess I specialize in eating disorders and body image. And that's kind of like, that's my like go-to thing. Megan works with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and work like can work with that. Well, so I want to know, because I have people that specifically come to me and they're like, I want to work on my body image. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what people come in looking for is not actually what I do. And yeah. so I don't know if you have, before I talk about that, if you have any experience to that or if you have any like just questions or things that you know you've done around that. Isn't that, I mean, the biggest thing I think back about that hearing you say it is like yeah so many people come in and want to work on like this specific thing yeah and I'm like okay in order to work on your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend or significant other whatever we actually need to talk about like your childhood your mom your mom or your dad (laughs) I one time I used to joke that on my like forearms I was gonna get like mom on one and dad on the other (laughs) and just like raise them up in session (laughs) that's actually Um, funny And so it is, yeah, it's really hard to, like, want to work on this one specific thing. I feel like it'd be like saying, I want to learn calculus, but I don't want to start with learning how to add and subtract. It's like, uh, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, As a therapist, like, I don't know that we can do that. Right. So, yeah, I would say the similar thing is, like, people want to attack the problem, which, of course, because you're in pain and you want to be out of that pain. But sort of for us, it's like, well, we've got to kind of look at the whole picture of what's mm-hmm. really going on. So I do work with people with eating disorders. And more often for me, it's people that are um, really in this like high achiever, wanting to be the best, mm-hmm. get to this certain place. But I would say, I mean, body image is a, it doesn't matter if it's men or women. Yeah. Body image is a part of everyone's life. life. Like yeah. it's impossible for it not to be, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love all of that. So what I want to, what I always say when somebody's like, I want to come, I want to work on body image. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean to you? Because 
body image work isn't necessarily getting somebody to the point where they look at their thighs and they're like, I love the way my thighs touch. Like, I don't know that I'll ever (laughs) look in the mirror and say that. Um, And so it's less about like liking what you see and more about like liking who you are. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, being grateful for having a body rather than like loving what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So, which bums a lot of people out. But to me, it's like kind of freeing in a sense of like, wow, because it would have been really hard for me to, I don't understand how I could get to a place and say like, I love my thighs. And you're telling me that I can never get there and still be okay with myself. Yeah. It's like, I really believe in this ideology that you don't ever have to lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so much of my life was spent like trying to look in the mirror. We were joking about affirmations before we went on, <laughs> on live. Um, but so much of my life was like, oh, if I just look in the mirror for long enough and be like, I love my legs, I love my legs, I love my legs, and say it enough times, then eventually I'll come to love my legs. Mm-hmm. Yet, I'll, actually, if you really deep dive into research around affirmations, if you're affirming something you don't believe, it actually makes you worse off mm-hmm. because you end up feeling shame that you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you're saying because it's like, yeah. I may not be able to help you love your body exactly, every part of it, exactly how it is. And there's still a lot of freedom to be had because you don't have to lie to yourself. You don't have to beat yourself over the head into trying to like like certain things you don't like. But actually there's this whole place where you can come to acceptance around your body mm-hmm. and then live out of that. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And... One thing I will say about, because my clients are like, Catherine, Megan said, oh gosh. the part about the <laughs> affirmation and the shame, um, that there's a difference in like forcing yourself to like, like something physical or whatever about yourself. And also affirmations for me, when I encourage people to use them and look in the mirror and mm-hmm. say them, it's more about like, hey, what would it be like to practice being nice to yourself? Yes, I'm totally on board with that. Or instead of saying, like, I love my legs, what about just saying, I'm working to love my legs? Right. Like, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, there are little ways you can change the affirmation to make it true. Yeah, and even saying something like, I feel uncomfortable looking at myself, but I'm worth doing this. Like, it's like the affirmation can be, it doesn't have, so I just had to say that because I knew people would be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, Catherine, because Megan said it makes it worse. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for clearing that up because affirmations definitely do not make things worse if you can find a way way that's true for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I really love, we were joking about before this, when I was in, (laughs) I made Catherine do affirmations as we were testing the microphones. And then I said back to you, do you remember what your affirmation was? Probably I'm so beautiful and amazing. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like what you would see in like a movie. But I was like, Megan, have you ever done that? She was like, I just did it. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. When I was in treatment, uh, people would stand up on the podium in the cafeteria. Oh my God. And you would have to say something nice about yourself. But that's really where I learned how to say something that I was working on believing was like was true so instead of if I was having a really bad day where like I didn't feel good about myself I could find something of like I'm working 
to love myself. Yeah. Um, and then everybody would re- say back, yeah, like you're at like a camp or some cult or something. <laughs> but the, everybody would say back, yes, you are. And I was like, this is so like stupid, but this is also so amazing. No, right but now. I'm so glad that you have that experience because <clears throat> even with the affirmation work, I'm like, I when I tell clients to do those things, I'm like, I know it sounds annoying and dumb, mm-hmm. but just do it. Like essentially just like humor me a couple times and see what happens because yeah. there is so much power in speaking things that like you like want and you truly, truly want for, mm-hmm. right? It's like speaking to it ex- into existence and putting that out there. It's weird. And also it's helpful. So I encourage my individual clients to do the same thing. Like, hey, what are you working on? What are you wanting in your life? Because the more that you talk about something, the more it tends to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're wanting to love your body, the more you're telling people, I'm working on loving my body. I'm wanting to love my Mm -hmm. body. I would guess the more it will show up. Rather than like trying to hide it and not tell anybody and then like it be the secret thing. And yeah, totally. Okay, so getting back into this, I want to talk before we move on out of the body image stuff, just two things. One, body image work, what I really would say is the, the basis of it, if if you're like, oh, I'm struggling with this, it's looking how to view, not view your body in terms of good and bad, and I say there's three main components in this. One, there's going to have to be a shift in the content that you're exposed to, which we talked about, mm-hmm. Um what Can taught... you be more specific about that? Yeah. So, like, what you're taught is usually what you believe. So, the content, whether that's what accounts you follow on Instagram. Yeah. What was the t- statistic that I just read that was talking about? Um, I think I'm going to bring it up later. It was... I can bring it up now. I'm already talking mm-hmm. about it. But it was talking about um, people who follow, like, health and wellness accounts. I think it was, like, 50% of those people that were polled that said they followed health and wellness accounts also... Um, reported eating disorder behaviors. Yeah, you know, so it's like, which that's a whole other thing of why that is. <laughs> but yeah, what are you, what are you exposing yourself to? What do you, who are the people that you're hanging out with? What are they saying about their bodies? What about like your family? Like, do you lean into their beliefs? What you're watching on TV? What's like, what magazines you read? Do people read still read magazines? I always, I don't know, in my head, I'm like, I always think about 17 magazines. That that might have been when I was in high school. Like, I used to say that, like, all those health magazines, like, Women's Health, Health, uh, Shape, Shape, all all of those, those were just guides to how to have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And you better believe that I used to have five magazine subscriptions. Yes. Five of them. And I read front to back every single one. Mm -hmm. It was sick. How to be super healthy. How to lose 10 pounds in three days. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. Juice cleanse. Yes. Oh my gosh. So that's what I'm talking about there. Um, Because honestly, I want people to ask themselves, why do you think this body is more attractive than this body? Why? I need people to know, like, why do you think that? Mm -hmm. Like, is that you or is that what you've been told? Or is that what you want to be told? Like, you have to have a reason of why. You can't just say because it is. Yeah, which brings up a really good point because I think I've had a few moments in my life, like, I grew up playing so many sports, and so most of my friends are really tall. And I was around somebody the other day, and they were like, wow, you're, like, everybody's so tall. You're so tall. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh, I've never thought about myself being tall. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. what my normal is. Mm -hmm. Or um, I'm getting these really amazingly badass shoes for my bridesmaids for um, for the wedding. And so I texted everybody and was like, hey, can I get everybody's shoe size? 
Well, it was really funny because like six out of the 12 people wear a women's 11. No way. Including me. And you want to know my shoe size? Probably small. What is it? Guess. Like a sample size is a seven. I know that from working at Nike. So what are you, seven and a half? Six and a half. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. But there was this experience where we were all texting in the group our shoe size and probably a lot of us like carried some shame around having such big feet. Yeah. And I was like, isn't this amazing? Like this is our normal. Like yeah. this is normal for this group of people. Mm-hmm. And it really says a lot about what you're talking about. Like so much of our beliefs come from what we've decided yeah. is normal. Yeah. And what we're around. Uh-huh. And Yes. So like what we think is normal is what we're exposed to the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, one, that doesn't actually mean that that's the majority of people. Right. And it also doesn't mean that that's normal because like what is a normal, what is a normal body? We don't know what that, we can't answer that. We don't have time to talk about it. No. Um, So there's that. That's the one first thing. The other thing is. A lot of times people are like, I want to learn how to be body positive and I want to do all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a second though. Like we might need to find like neutrality first. Like why don't we move towards body neutrality first before we go and like become these like advocates for like all, all bodies all the time, every day, 24 <laughs> seven. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, let's baby steps. It's almost like this black and white, like let's sit in the gray a little bit for you mm-hmm. and see what that's like. Um, so that's that part. And then the last one is asking them, what do you gain from having negative body image? Which yeah. is, I call that, I mean, you can ask that question for a lot of like issues. I call that like the secondary reward system. There is probably something you get out of having negative body image. And that doesn't make sense to a lot of people because they're like, nothing. It makes me feel like shit. And I'm like, Yeah, and, like, there's a reason that you're doing that, just like any other thing. There's a reason you talk to yourself like that. Like, humans don't do anything for no reason. So let's... What do you see show up the most there, like, with clients or... What they get? Yeah. Um, I'm... I don't know if there's a... There's not a most, but... Or just some common ones. Yeah, I guess, one, if I can call this out, then nobody else can call it out. If Mm -hmm. I know this about me, nobody else can say it and hurt me, Mm -hmm. which is, like, I like to call image, like, management... Like if I can, let's say I'm feeling, um, really, I'm feeling really gross one day and I think I look fat and I walk into a room with my friends and I'm like, oh, my jeans are so tight. I know my stomach's hanging out over them. And I sit down and then my friends are like, what the fuck? You look fine. But it's because I feel uncomfortable. If I call it out first, you can't. Or mm-hmm. how often do you hear people say, I have this big zit on my face. It's, it's so annoying, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I didn't see it, but now I can't stop looking at <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. But it's like, if I can call it out, then I feel more comfortable knowing, you know that I know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times they don't even know. <laughs> right. So I think that's a, that's, I guess I would probably say that's one of the most common yeah. reasons for that. Like what you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Because what if I think that I look good and you think I look bad? That's scary. That's really vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I know I tell this story and I know I told it to you, but even in my own story, the secondary gain for me of like the way I felt about my body really kept me safe from doing relationship. So I had this big story about how I didn't have a boyfriend. This sounds so funny to say, Um, but I didn't have a boyfriend because of the way that I looked like, Mm -hmm. and if I were thinner, if I were prettier, then guys would like me. Mm -hmm. And there really was this moment where I was out dancing and I realized like, every time a guy like made eye contact with me, like he was going to come ask me to dance, I would like look at my feet. Yeah. And 
it was really this moment of awakening that I was like, oh, like this actually might have nothing to do with my body and everything to do with my fear. Mm -hmm. And so for me, hating my body really kept me from having to face my fear of, Mm -hmm. of like putting myself out there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as cliche as it might sound, like confidence is so attractive. Like Mm -hmm. somebody who you can tell they like themselves. You want to be around those people because they make you feel good too. Somebody like it might not be what your body looks like that somebody's attracted to attracted to right off the bat. It's like their energy. Like she looked at me in the eyes and she was like, "Let's dance," and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna dance." Yeah, you know? um, which yeah. is a huge lie. Like I, I'm sure this shows up for you with clients. I'll have people that are like, "Well, when I was ten pounds, like." skinnier just all the guys liked me blah 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 and I'm like I guarantee you that had nothing to do with being 10 pounds lighter that had everything to do with you being more confident right 100% now I would like to take a little side step right here because there's a huge difference in negative body image and distorted body image which I don't think most people realize Hmm. yeah tell us the difference I will so, <laughs> drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> Everybody's on the edge of their seats. What could this be? <laughs> You're really building a suspense. It's like this like big secret that I just found out through this like long term study I did over the course of my life. This is really not that. I'm on the edge of my seat. I feel like you really built it up. Where I was like, what is it? What is it? <sighs> so, okay. So, distorted body image is about what you see and not how you see it. It's literally about what you see. So when somebody says they have body dysmorphia or I think she has body dysmorphia or whatever like that, body dysmorphia is an actual real thing. And what I want people to know is the people that have body dysmorphia really do see their body as different than what it really is. Mm -hmm. That can be bigger or smaller. So I'm going to try to explain why a lot of times that is and why it's really harmful for you just to be like, you don't look like that. Stop saying that. Yeah. Um, okay. So when somebody actually has body dysmorphia, a lot of times what is happening happening is that the visual image of the body um, through the eyes, uh, make sure that I'm saying this so you can follow it so these people will follow it. Yeah. So, and the... <clears throat> interoceptive messages which that are that's signals from inside of your body so interoceptive messages that's signals from inside so those two things aren't matching up so the visual visual that you're seeing and basically what you're feeling is not matching up so that means that the visual information that you're getting is impacted by the internal sensations that they're having from whatever thoughts and how they're trying to make sense of that so Hopefully this will kind of wrap all that out up of if you have really loud, like internal signals, those are going to translate through your body to feeling really huge because the internal noise is so loud that when you see something, it looks bigger. Mm -hmm. Am I explaining that well? Yeah. If I were to say it back to you, it's like when this person visually sees with their eyes, whatever they're looking at, the messages in their head are so different than what they're seeing that they really believe the, the, the messages, messages in their head. versus the image. Yes. And to them, there's no difference. Right. There's the It's yeah. the same. Yeah. And so you cannot just tell somebody that what they're seeing is not accurate because they actually really are seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so this is more around processing. Like that work would be not so much of like, how do we move you to like learn to like find body positivity? It's no, how do we work through the emotions and the messages and what's going on inside of your head and inside of your body? And once you do that work, that will translate. Right. So two really different things, body dysmorphia and negative body image. Mm -hmm. And if you're telling somebody with body dysmorphia, like, you don't, you're actually really skinny. You're really skinny. Like it's like you may as they well feel crazy. Talk to the wall because yeah. it's not lining up. Yeah. And so what? Like if you have a friend that truly has body dysmorphia and they're saying like I know I'm fat. I know I am. And you're thinking in your head, no, you're not. Like what do you say back to them? A friend or a client. A friend. Yeah. Um. To to be honest, I wouldn't. Um, commiserate with them in that like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be like yeah (laughs) because there's also a reason that they're telling you that I'm fat Mm -hmm. right so plenty of people can have body dysmorphia but that aren't proclaiming to the world that they what they're seeing is not something they don't like and so there there is something in them saying that to you so I I don't know that I would go ahead and be like yeah you're huge you're right Uh, it would be more along the lines of like well, what I hear you saying is that um, you're uncomfortable with what you see when you look in the mirror. Um, and I that probably is really hard. Yeah. I don't think there would be necessarily a need to discount or, like, um, agree with them. Just the fact that it sounds like you're feeling something uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So more so yeah. affirming, like... That they must be having a really hard time mm-hmm. and then leaving their actual comment. And then to tell the them to go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and then tell them to go to therapy and also let and them know <laughs> that the listening to the Uni Therapy podcast <laughs> does not substitute as actually going to therapy. Yeah, we would like to make that note. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to lose clients. <laughs> <laughs> or listening to any other podcast does yeah. also not substitute for as going to therapy. therapy. <laughs> that is called information overload (laughs) and it's while it's good to take in information at some point you actually maybe do want to hire your own therapist and have your own space yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think for that if you have somebody you know that's in that space like yeah um that sounds like it sucks like and whatever language makes sense for you and your friends Mm -hmm. don't it doesn't have to be so like oh i heard somebody say this so i'm gonna say it back like whatever however you talk to your friends um, but just, I would not affirm the negative belief or disfirm it. Like, mm-hmm. what is disfirm? Dis- discount. Dis- discount. Yeah. Disfirm. Um, yeah. And really knowing, even what I hear you saying, is like really knowing that it's not about the body. Mm-hmm. Like, they're telling you about something else. Yeah. Just like f- the eating disorder really isn't about food. Because, like, you can ask, like, what it- I hear you say that often. And I- I'm just sitting here wondering, like, why is that a big deal for you? Mm-hmm. Why does the size of your body matter to you? Like, I think that's what I would really want to know as a friend. Mm -hmm. Because I know for me, I don't choose my friends based on their weight. And so I would love to know for them, like, why it's it's important for them to to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. Do you think we're done with that part? I could talk about body image for, like, ever, ever on ever. Um, And about how even as a person in process of like there, I very much like my body and I'm also in process of figuring out how to continue to like it and deal with negative messages that I hear when I look in the mirror some days. Yeah. 
Yes. Because, <clears throat> it again, <coughs> we're not doing black and white all or nothing. It's not every day I'm like, I'm so positive about everything in, that I see in the mirror. That's not it. And so body image and finding positive body image and working through negative body image, it's not about finding a place where you're like, okay, I'm done. Like, that's not what it's about. Um, but I think for me, what has been really helpful, I think, is talking more about the things I like and less about the things I don't. Mm. It's been a huge difference. Like about your body? To be honest, nobody wants to hear you complain about your body. Yeah. Like, I, as a therapist, want space, space for my clients to voice their feelings. But it's really hard to be with a friend who's always picking themselves apart. Mm-hmm. And so I know that for me, it feels better when I'm with people that can talk kinder. And I know it feels better just for me when I'm kinder. Mm-hmm. What do you like most about your body? Are you willing to talk about it? God, why do you do this? <laughs> this I'm just, wasn't in the plan. <laughs> I'm so curious. Like when you started talking about it, I was yeah. like, I wonder what she likes about her body. Yeah. I can talk about that. Um, what I truly, what I really like about my body is one, it has carried me through like so much shit. And I feel like that to some people, I get worried when I say that because I'm like, oh, people might think that I'm just saying that or like, it's just really because I can't learn to like what I look like. But I'm like, no, like what I like most about my body is how freaking powerful and strong it it is Mm -hmm. because it is like, it's carried me through emotions, feelings, like horrible breakups, really amazing things, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's carried me through marathons. It's carried me like, it's so much stuff. So that's what I think I like the most about it. I will, I do want to add aesthetically, I want to add something Mm -hmm. because we're allowed to like that as well. So I work in fitness too and I, this might sound weird to people, but I like not having, and I even struggle using these words because I feel like somebody might jump down my throat, but I like not having the typical body for a fitness instructor Hmm. because one, it's been really powerful for me to be like, I can be a fitness instructor. I can be a lead instructor at a fitness studio. I can be a, like a face for a fitness studio. And I don't have to look this way. Like, look, I proved something that I used to believe. Mm. Um, I proved that wrong. But the other thing is, I honestly like that because I think it gives a little bit of... Um, I think the word might be freedom to other people who, because you know, you used to go, well, I used to, to work out or classes. And I'd be like, I want to take that girl's class because I want to look like that. Hmm. I'm like, you can't look like that because she has a different body. Like if you ate the same food as her and did the same workouts, your bodies would not look the same. And so I think that I offer a little bit of freedom to people to like, you can come work out and look however you want. So, Yeah. Amen. Okay, I'm like, you're looking at me funny. Do you want to answer that question? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you can use my same answer. Um, it was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, your answer was actually really great. Um, I think I can go t- two ways. I've had to do a lot, a lot of work, as I'm sure we all have had to do around loving my body or becoming at least neutral or be- yeah. appreciating my body um, and seeing it 
for like what it is. And I think a lot of that has come from really this place of strength. Mm -hmm. So probably my favorite thing about my body and if tears came more accessible to me, I would weep is how resilient it is because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things I did for a long time that really, really were not good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just talking to somebody about this other day and I was just like, it, it is so amazing to me that I don't have like health complications um, and that I'm healthy and that my body has like rejuvenated yeah. and that I'm in the place that I am. And so I think that's my favorite part is just that it's resilient. Um, and I think that also like my body in a lot of ways mirrors my spirit that's also really resilient. Yeah. So I'm so happy that you said that because this is more in depth to like eating disorder recovery. Um, but there is a phase in recovery where your body kind of goes a little all over the place mm-hmm. with like learning how to refeed yourself and how the body responds to that. And I think a lot of people get really mad at their bodies of like, what are you doing? You're gaining all this weight. You're doing this to me. You're doing that. And they, they like your, their body becomes the enemy, but I'm so glad you said that resilience piece because that really is like their body being like trying to figure this out for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And like eventually you will, but like if that's the worst thing that like it takes a while for your body to figure out what metabolism is. Right. Like that's really cool. And like if we can offer some gratitude for the fact that our bodies didn't shut down after all the crap we put them through. Yeah. That is that I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to hear that. And I went through the weight fluctuation yeah. thing. Um, and so one of the, my favorite questions to ask myself is I went for so long, it was, I had to be this certain number on the scale. Yeah. And now the thing that I ask myself is like, what, like when I look at myself, do I look like me? Um, now you also have to have a certain level of health to be able to be honest with yourself about that. But oh. like, do I, do I feel like I look like me? Um, yeah. I would, I wonder if this would fit too, mm-hmm. of if the question could be, does this, where I am allow me to have freedom to be myself? Yeah. And for Do me, to... I've actually had to come to a yeah. place of like acceptance around that of, I don't have exactly like, there are things about my body I wish maybe were different. Right. But what I do have is like so much freedom to actually enjoy my life as it is and enjoy my life around food. And because of that, I'm willing to like have some things that I wish were different that I also don't need to change. And so to live in the tension of that, of like, I have this really amazing life. I'm also like healthy by my doctor's standard. Right. right? So I think there also is times that we can be in denial about like, oh no, but my life's great. But actually like you actually need to eat more or you need to eat less or whatever. Yeah. So I don't want it to get confused with that. But yeah, the resiliency piece is really something I come back to. Right. And you know, I have a lot of thoughts, but Mm -hmm. also what you're saying of like, yeah, I'm like, I'm great. I'm functioning. If you are malnourished, Like, you're actually not functioning. Like, you need nutrients for your brain. Like, you need carbohydrates specifically because everybody thinks that they're evil. But you need them. (laughs) I kind of want to read a text that I got from... She wouldn't care if I read it. But I did get a a text from a client that said... We started to see a dietitian and she was like... She said, did you know that 
there's a certain level of carbohydrates that my brain needs to function. Did you know that? And I was like, yes. She was like, who knew? And I was like, most health professionals. Like, yeah. Not Instagram health coaches. Not fitness models. Like, most people know that. Like, mm-hmm. that is a truth. And I, and I say that because, yeah, people are like, I'm fine. But I'm like, you could be functioning so differently. Like, you don't know. You have capacity to be, like, exponentially... Yeah. More on top, but you're like settling for this baseline of fog that you don't even know you're in. Yeah, it reminds me, I think it was maybe last year or something, shortly after we moved into this office, I started like having these experiences where I was getting sort of dizzy and nauseous a lot. And I was like, oh, maybe it's the lighting in the office. So I went and bought like so many different light bulbs and so many different lights. I remember you and being, I was like, saying that. Yeah, I would get like sort of just was feeling weird but I was also feeling weird outside of the office sometimes and I was like gosh it's lighting or something and I ended up going in for like my yearly physical or whatever and got blood work done that's just like I do every year just to check in and make sure I'm at a good place whatever and my doctor sends me this message and she's like your vitamin b12 is so low I don't even know how you're functioning and how you're not just so dizzy and nauseous all the time and I was like oh Oh my my gosh And I started taking a supplement, um, like that she recommended and whatever. And a couple months later, I don't know, maybe it was weeks, but months, I was like, holy crap, how did I live like that? Yeah. And so you just proved that. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, I knew to some degree, I knew I felt like sort of crappy, but I also like thought it was all these other things. Like it never dawned on me of like, oh, maybe something's actually off inside of me. Right. And really, like, I don't know why I was low on B12 or whatever. I don't even want to get into that. Pause that. Because what you just said, I thought it was all this stuff outside of me. But Mm -hmm. really, it was something internally. That is, period. We can, that is the book (laughs) on, like, what we just said. Everything. Yeah. And that is a beautiful example. And I hear, then I start taking this vitamin B12, like, supplement. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling good. Like yeah. again, I'm feeling back to like a baseline. Yeah. And so I think a lot of us live like that. It's like you get normal, you get adjusted to how crappy you feel yeah. until you know something different. And the last thing I'll say, this is really the last thing I'll say is I think that we need to also come to, cause I know I was talking about like, what are you look, what messages are you looking at that say what type of body is the right body to have? I think really what I wish that we could come to the conclusion is is that there are a million type of right bodies. Yeah. Like, there are a million types, and we shouldn't be looking to one size because everybody everybody has a different makeup, right? And so some bodies are going to sit at this space, and some bodies are going to sit at this space. And just like there's room for all type of personalities, mm-hmm. right, like we talked about, there's room for that as well. And so I don't want to be sending the message that, like, you should only be looking at plus size models or you should only be like, no, like there is space for every type of body is worthy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and it's really your first place. Mm -hmm. I think in your, I don't know, maybe a second place because none of us really have that much choice of our name, but also a lot of our bodies, like I didn't determine how tall I was or like a lot of it. I didn't determine how big my foot is or like in some, so we do have some sort of say over our shape, but then also like for the most part, you really don't. And so you can either resist that and like spend all your days and energy in 
a constant fight against like yourself or you can come to this place of acceptance around like okay what does it look like for me to be the best version and in the best body of me yeah and and um, not best by like six-pack abs but like best whatever that means for you yeah yeah because i wrote a post uh, about this this week um just about how often i hear people struggling to go to a gym and like move whatever way it is because they don't feel like they belong there and there's nothing that like there is but that breaks my heart Mm -hmm. because those spaces like fitness gyms all those places are they're created to help us they should be created to help us take care of ourselves and everybody deserves to take care of themselves so there's not a certain size person that deserves to go take care of themselves like everybody gets to do that and you don't have to be super in shape and be able to run a marathon to deserve to go run on a treadmill Mm. and you don't like have to have a six pack and be able to bench press x amount of weight to deserve to go to like some like circuit class like everybody gets to go to those things Mm -hmm. um there's no prereqs so and gets to do it the way they want like sometimes if people saw me in yoga they would be like what in the hell but i'm like you know what? I'm just going to do what feels good for my body. Yeah. And I always do sort of wonder sometimes, like, is this yoga teacher just like, is that girl just going to do whatever she wants today? Yeah. Um, and sometimes I do the class, but sometimes I'm just like, no, yeah. I'm going to kind of yeah. do my own thing here. Yeah. And so even within that, it's like, not only are you worthy of being at the gym, but you're also worthy of doing it at however you need to do it. Taking care of yourself. Yeah. Like this morning I went and took a cycling class and I was on the front row. So I, a lot of times when I, I feel like just because anyway, I feel like I should be respectful of the instructor if I'm mm-hmm. like on the front row. Yeah. And like do what they ask me to do. Um, but my legs, like I had to sit down. Like we were climbing a hill and it was the biggest hill of the class. And um, my legs were just say- saying, Catherine, like sit down. And also it feels better for me. Um, I enjoy it more climbing a hill in the saddle. So I sat down and climbed the whole thing. And afterwards I was like, it was my friend Annie was teaching. I was like, I just want you to know, like you weren't like I needed to do that. And like, we all deserve to listen. Like you don't have to do everything. If it doesn't feel good, don't hurt yourself to take care of the instructor's feelings. Yeah. We'll be okay. (laughs) Annie was like, it's fine. Like I didn't take that personally. And if she did, not my problem. Right. Love you, Annie. Anyway. Um, okay, so... This is a little longer than I imagined it being. Um, all right, so now that we talked about that, I also want to move into the space of, like, let's talk about, like, what eating disorders really are. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the different types, because there's probably more than you guys think there are. Um, just to get that kind of information. I'm, what I'm not going to do is go through, like, diagnostic criteria through no. all of them, because you guys don't need to know that. I think you just need to know maybe what it looks like and that these are, like, options. I guess, Megan, I want to ask you what you would assume most people think when they think of eating disorders. Yes. I know you know something different, but what do you assume that most people think? I think a lot of times people think, like, somebody who is almost, like, weak 
Well, I think in some ways it depends on what sort of eating disorder we're talking about, but like somebody who is messed up or weak or has like some weird stuff. I'm just repeating like things I hear people say weird stuff around food. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that's not what I was asking. <laughs> oh, perfect. No, but Let's that's just actually, cut that. No, no, that's good because that's actually a whole other piece of like that people have yeah. this like view of people with eating disorders. But I, well, I guess what I was asking was like, you're like now. Yeah, you. I know what it is. When you think of when you think people think of eating disorders, what I guess behaviorally, yeah, or what it looks like. Okay, yeah, not what they think about like, those people. Sort of like. um I thought before I went to treatment that alcoholics were just people who lived under bridges. Yes. Yeah. Um, so unless you were homeless and living under a bridge, in my world, you were not an alcoholic. Right. Okay. So round two of me trying. <laughs> Shots is good. <laughs> um, progress, not perfection here. Um, I would say most people think that if you have an eating disorder, that you are like a skeleton. Yeah. So really, really, really skinny. Yeah. Um. And you can't eat anything at all, so you go, like, weeks without putting any sort of food in your body. Um, Or some version of, like, still probably really, really skinny, but also, like, if you eat one thing, you throw it up. Like, so you, I guess, would maybe be throwing up, like, 20 times a day anything you ate. Yeah. Um, And basically, you're, like so sick that you're like crawl you can't even walk you're right. basically like crawling yeah. around like <clears throat> all of them have like if you're in a hospital with a feeding tube yeah um yeah and unless you're that you're, you're probably don't have an eating disorder yes okay mm-hmm. that is what i was yes. talking about because that is just not true <laughs> which is interesting because i remember like being younger being like I'm going to become anorexic and my goal was like I'm not going to eat for a week and see what happens that is, I don't really know anybody who does that. Mm. Like, to be, I've worked with eating disorders for the past seven years. I'm not sure that I've had a client that just didn't eat for a week straight. I think that they would not, they would have passed out and would not be my client. Yeah. Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Enough. Like, That's kind of like, like the alcohol version of, like, thinking that the person drinks from, like, the yeah. time they wake up and doesn't ever stop drinking. Like they're just chugging like, like through a straw the whole day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like not how that works um, <laughs> at all. So I'm going to go through and I want Megan, what I want you to do is obviously chime in your mm-hmm. expertise, but also <clears throat> ask questions that I might not be mm-hmm. um, explaining because what is really interesting and what I've come to know for myself is because I know this information so well and it's so normal to me I forget that it's like like even when I'm working with clients I like forget that like oh this information that's very basic to me yeah. is like really kind of like astounding to other people mm-hmm. um, so we'll, we'll start with anorexia because that's the one that most people think of an eating disorder. They think of, I think they think of two, they think of anorexia and, and bulimia. Mm-hmm. And they think that those are like sis, the sisters and they're like opposites. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing. Anorexia does, it doesn't mean that you are severely underweight. Like you don't have to be severely underweight to be anorexic. Um, but what it includes is a restriction of energy intake, which is, a fancy word for food. Mm-hmm. So restriction of food um, and generally low weight, but it also could just be like inability to maintain a healthy weight, 
um, an inability to um, gain appropriate weight if they're like adolescents um, or like there could be a just weight loss involved in it. It doesn't like you could be anorexic and not be underweight is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are subtypes of it. So there's like mild, severe, whatever. Also you could um, use purging behaviors in that as well. Like yeah. which can you talk about what yeah. that looks like? So when I say purging, most people are like throwing up. But there's all types of purging, which mm-hmm. people don't realize, right? So exercise is a form of purging. Um, laxatives, diuretics, like those are all forms of purging. And I think people only think that like throwing up makes me whatever. But yeah. Um, How do you know if your exercise is a form of purging or just normal exercise? Well, that's com- that's complex. But I think that if you are um, counting calories to subtract from what you ate... That's a way of to purge what you ate. Mm-hmm. So I know for me is I used to keep like a list of like all my cal. This is why do not download my fitness pal. Hear that here first. <laughs> Your body we- is smarter than my fitness pal. You don't need it. We don't have ads. We have to support our podcast. We have anti ads. Yeah. So <laughs> we're anti advertising yeah. my fitness pal. Um. <laughs> But yeah, like if you're calculating, I know that like there's a lot of apps that can calculate how many calories you ate and then you can put in your exercise and see how that subtract. And so that would equal that I should lose this amount of, like that is a form of getting rid of your food. Okay. Rather than like I'm exercising today or I'm moving my body today because I need to take care of it or because it feels right or it feels good. It's to get rid of calories, like just pure calorie burn. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's anorexia, and there is bulimia. So bulimia would be um, binges, which binge eating and overeating are two different things, and I think people get really confused with that. Like, sometimes we, like, hang out with our friends, and oh, we overate, and I had um, a little bit, I was full, and I ate past fullness, and, like, some people can be like, yeah, I binge ate, and I'm like, well, what did you have? And, Mm -hmm. like, that's not a binge. You just, like, ate past fullness. So... Bulimia would be like binge eating followed by attempts right after that to get rid of the food. So anorexia, you're not binging and then purging. You would be restricting and purging anything. Like if you had the purging component, you'd be getting rid of anything. Mm -hmm. Bulimia, you are binging and then purging what like the binge. Mm -hmm. Um, And that technically you would be doing that like to be diagnosable for the most part. Again, don't take everything verbatim, but... And do not use this as a way to diagnose yourself. This or is just your looking at behaviors. Or your family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, send them to somebody. But you would be doing that like more than twi- twice or more a week. Mm-hmm. And that would have to last for a span of longer than like three months. Mm-hmm. It's not like you did it one time and like now you have bulimia for the rest of your life. Like mm-hmm. that's not what that looks like. Um, so that's the main two. Now there's this other one. Now also keep in mind, just like all foods fit and there's no good or bad food and all of that. There's no black and white. There is no like eating disorder that's better than the other. Mm-hmm. Like they're all the same. And I think that with this next one that I'm going to talk about is there's so much shame around it, but they're all, they're all even. And I try to really normalize that of like your maladaptive coping mechanisms. None of y- yours are better than the others. They might be socially accepted, differently right but that's because of the way society is built that's not because they really are better 
And some have more consequences than others. Yes. So I think, like, even if we bring it back to, like, drugs and alcohol, like, heroin definitely has a higher chance of killing you than alcohol in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, not... It depends on how much alcohol yeah. you're drinking and, you know, but in general, most of the time we can agree that that's true. It will kill you faster. But that doesn't mean that drinking to the point of having a substance use disorder is better for you than using heroin. Yeah. Or like, I also want to say this of, you know, you can be like, you said that one time you can be an alcoholic and drink once a year, Mm -hmm. but like you could drink a couple times a month, but black out. And that doesn't, but you, you don't miss work and you don't do this. That doesn't make your alcoholism better than somebody who like is drinking every day and maybe miss it. Like, so let's just take that out. We're not comparing any of these. They mm-hmm. are their own thing. They're mm-hmm. all their own. Um, so the next one is binge eating disorder, which is actually the most common in the United States. I don't know that people would know that other than the fact, well, because this is the one people are going to talk about the least. Like yeah, what I've seen shame. is, yeah, more people are going to talk about uh, for, or feel more um, freedom to talk about anorexia, then bulimia, then it's binge eating because binge eating disorder, you're not purging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's also the most common in males. So yeah, 40% of the people diagnosed are men, men, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is so interesting. Binging disorder in the United States, more common than breast cancer. Dang. But nobody talks about it. Yeah. So people can do all this stuff for an I think it's great for like breast cancer research and all this stuff and awareness, but like, why aren't people talking about that with binge eating disorder? This they're both mm-hmm. diseases. One of just because one is mental health and one is physical, I don't think that that's a um, excusable reason to not be talking about it. Yeah, um, not to mention, I'm sure, there's the emotional component to that, but then there's also like the way that food is being modified, where you really can't stop eating it. Yeah, definitely has to do with a lot of probably the chemicals involved, and I can't speak to that because I'm not a dietitian, Mm -hmm. the chemicals involved in food composition, but also, like, I would say it's not really about the food. Like, because when you're binging, it's a dissociative thing. Like, you are not, most of the time, when you are in a binge state, you're not there. Yeah, what would that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that their, like, eyes are rolling in the back of their head Mm -hmm. and they're, like, in a, like... Candyland, but yeah. like, yeah, I, most of the time when people are going through a binge, they're dissociating from some feeling or some experience or something. So, mm-hmm. kind of like we talked about, like it's a way to escape your feeling. They're not totally in that. So, most of the time, somebody with binge eating disorder isn't sitting there being like, this sugar tastes so good, or this pizza is so good, or this whatever it is they're binging on. It's mm-hmm. more of a way to dissociate for something. There's a lot of times, like, there could be rituals involved in it, and sometimes it can happen anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's not really necessarily about the food. Mm-hmm. It's not about the food. I would mm-hmm. say that for most eating disorders, the root issue isn't the food. Yeah. So, which uh, is true for like really any addiction yeah. going on or any, we talk about that it's all the time, like behaviors. Yeah. It's never about, it's about like, the alcohol, whatever the behavior is. Yeah. It's what is happening underneath. Um, and so yeah. it sounds like binge eating disorder. People are eating, binging on food. But what you're saying is like, it's really about the emotion they're trying to get away from. Yeah. And you know what um, is really uh, a point of contention with me and weight loss programs is Three out of 10 individuals, so that's 30%, right? Mm -hmm. There's 30% of people 
who are looking for weight loss treatments have signs of binge eating disorder, Mm. which is really painful for me because a lot of these weight loss programs aren't really looking out for that. And, or if they are, they're not looking at how to really treat the actual mental health disorder. They're looking at how do I treat the, the weight and that's not actually the problem. Um, and so usually they're giving them tools to control food in a different way, Mm -hmm. I guess, or use food in a different way. And that can, one, they can just backfire and they can never catch on to that. Or it can turn to, okay, I have this disorder. Now I have this disorder and now I'm super restrictive. Yeah. And I mean, that reminds me even of like, I don't know the statistics exactly, but on people who have gastric bypass surgery and how often then they have some sort of, it morphs into a different addiction, like substance or something else that's actually a huge problem. And the statistic on that is enormous. Yeah. Um, Because what it has done is like a transference of addiction. Mm -hmm. And if you don't actually work on the stuff with the eating disorders, that's why you can't just be like, I'm going to stop doing this. Like you have to work on the stuff because I know for me in my story of I started really restrictive and then I added in this like purging through exercise component. And then like I went through a phase of I because I went through a phase of like just restricting. I can only do that for so long. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm going to fix this and I'm going to start eating or I'm going to do whatever. And then I went through a phase of like binge eating. And then I, my exercise, that's probably when my exercise took off even more because then I was trying to purge more through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't planning on saying this, but I will. Like when I was trying to take care of myself by myself, once I kind of realized I had a problem, I tried because then I, when I started binging, I tried with all my power to throw up. For the, by the grace of God, I have no gag reflex. Mm-hmm. So, which I truly am so grateful for because if I would have been able to fix that issue with that, I think it would have, I would have stayed in that longer. I wouldn't have gone and got the help that I needed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like these things will, it's almost like a whack-a-mole. You're going to cycle through them if you don't actually fix the issue. So if I just go, if I have binge eating disorder, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go lose weight. That's not going to solve anything. And I think that's why a lot of times I get like really riled up against these weight loss programs or people that are going on diets. And it's because like, I know what's going to happen. And I'm like, can I save you from this happening? Yeah. I can't a lot of times. No, it's like putting a bandaid on like a cut that needs stitches. Yes. It's like, I guess it'll hold, hold it on there together a little bit until it totally doesn't and you have an even worse infection yes yeah i get like oh the heated isn't the word passionate yeah Yeah. um so should we move on (laughs) (laughs) um so i also want to talk about some of um of these less known eating disorders and here's the other one. So there used to be this thing called um, Ednos, which I used to love saying that. They, really? they, I've Ednos. never actually said that. Um, yeah. So that would be an eating disorder not otherwise specified. So there are plenty of people, and this is so important. Not everybody's going to fit into those three main categories, right? Because you're not going to meet all the criteria. I don't know that I would have met all the criteria at certain times. Mm -hmm. And so there's also this category that's an eating, it used to be called eating disorders, not otherwise specified. Now it's called other specified feeding or eating disorder. So now it's called OSFED. (laughs) (laughs) 
all that means is like to be classified as having anorexia or be classified as having bulimia you have to meet so a certain number of certain criteria so let's say i don't know what it is exactly but let's say it's like you need to meet three Three out of these in this time frame six criteria in this time frame without having these without this blah 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 so all the non not otherwise specified means like hey this person definitely has some stuff going on they just don't fit they don't fit perfectly into mm-hmm. this one this one or this one yeah um, so we throw on like oh they're their own sort of deal yeah. which really everyone is mm-hmm. and all of these diagnoses really are just ways for healthcare providers to help communicate what's going on with somebody right. this is not like anything other than that yeah that's really helpful and the a question to ask is like is your way of feeding and eating yourself and taking care of yourself getting in the way of your actual physical health and your life mm-hmm. like is this causing implications on you living your life mm-hmm. to the level you were created to live um, <clears throat> the reason I really wanted to include that is because I think some of us can use that as an excuse to not do anything or not get help or yeah. I don't have a problem and um, you might, and that's okay. Um, yeah, like if food and thoughts of body image and food and the way that you handle all that is taking up a lot of space or in inside of you, I don't care what your diagnosis is, you're worthy of getting help for right. that. Yeah. Amen. Megan, thank you. So, okay, there's a couple other ones that I want to just like mention really quickly. Um, just kind of to point out that it's, not always about like body. Um, and so we'll just go through these kind of really quickly. Um, there's one called ARFID. I you know, love these little, what are these <laughs> I acronyms? I never use these acronyms. So. Uh, which is not a synonym. It's not a <laughs> metaphor. It's not a simile. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that stands for avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. So that is what used to be called selective eating disorder. And um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but that's when like there's only certain foods that you'll eat and all that. And that can really get mm-hmm. in the way. And that probably has a lot of times a lot to do with anxiety. So, you know, we talk, talk about co-occurring. There's a lot of anxiety that is um, included in that. Um, and then there's PICA. That's just called PICA. That's not an acronym. Um, and that's eating things that aren't food. So if mm. you've heard about like people eating like they used to do. They had stuff. a TV yes, show just, and someone yes. would eat cotton balls. Yes. Cotton balls, like dirt. Yeah. Um, bolts, hair. Oh my like, God. I want this to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's also like, there's something going on there and it's affecting the way they're like, sometimes those people will only be able to eat those foods. Like real mm-hmm. food won't be appetizing to them. And so again, yeah, not about body image there. Um, or I, some, most of the time. And then the final, um, one that I want to talk about, which this is not in the DSM, which is the diagnostic statistical manual for mental mm-hmm. health disorders. Which basically means that if Start you by. saw us or you saw somebody else, you went to a treatment center, they couldn't formally diagnose you with this for insurance purposes, is what that means. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's this thing called orthorexia. Now, let me ask you this. You're, you're familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. When did you become familiar with this is it do you think it's because you work in the field you struggled with eating disorders yourself or because it's out in the open these days oh definitely because i'm in the field and work with people with eating disorders and really familiar with it okay yeah so um, i've never heard anybody outside of a clinical setting talk talk, about it talk about yeah Mm -hmm. so this term which is interesting because this was like 
coined and started kind of being looked at 23 years ago, 1997, Mm -hmm. um, by this guy named Stephen Brotman. And um, the word orthorexia comes from orthos, which is the Greek word for right. So the orthorexia is not so much people who are concerned about weight, but it's more about the quality of food and what you're eating. So mm-hmm. eating right, not necessarily having the right body. Like an obsession with eating healthy foods. Yes. I mean, and that's the doing easiest, healthy things. That's the easiest way to put it. It's being so fixated on healthy eating that it's damaging your actual well-being or mm-hmm. um, kind of diminishing the quality of life you can have. Well, I don't know statistics on this because it's you can't diagnose this right mm-hmm. now, which I actually I would assume the next time they put out like the DSM five revise or the six, like I would assume this would be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, this also a lot of times these are comorbid or co-occurring with anxiety disorders and like obsessive compulsive yeah. disorders and stuff like that. I just kind of want to go through what this looks like mm-hmm. because I will say in society what I see is this is actually a really big problem right now that is being disguised as like wellness. Yeah. It's being really awesome. Like I see this to show up with a lot of the clientele that I work with that work in the fitness industry um, or really active in the industry or health space, Mm -hmm. whatever. It's like this. Sure. They're really healthy, but or healthy air quotes. What even is that's what I'm saying. And I'm like, wow, the amount of time they spend within this space it is really not working for them well and it will create irrational fear around food not so much about like that's going to make me gain weight but like what else that's going to like do to you and so i'm just going to talk about what that looks like day to day so a person with orthorexia is going to be obsessed is a good word to to say Mm -hmm. with um, with defining and then maintaining a perfect diet so rather than like fixating on like a goal weight or something like that or um, looking a certain way they're going to fixate on eating foods that give them a feeling of being pure and healthy but their definition of healthy Mm -hmm. um, because there are 5,000 different definitions nobody knows what that even means anymore Mm -hmm. like I struggle even using that word when it comes to anything I mean similar with somebody with any other eating disorder somebody with orthorexia may find that like their obsession is going to impact everyday activities but there's almost a, self, a sense of self-righteousness in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I can feel like I'm not going to eat that because, I don't know why pizza's coming in my head. I'm thinking of Emmy squared right now. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't eat um, white bread because blah, 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 or that's not organic. And mm-hmm. do you know where um, the pesticides that they put on those tomatoes and what that's going to do to your body and how that forms cancer. It's like, yeah, that that's kind of where rap- I've yeah. shown it, seen it yeah. also show up a lot is around this fear of getting sick right. or getting yeah. cancer. So uh-huh. I can't eat gluten. I can't eat yeah, this. I can't eat that. Everybody because, thinks they have food allergies. Yeah. I have to have certain types of water. I have to have all these supplements, all this stuff because I'm so afraid of getting cancer, which really is linked to a trauma in their story normally. Yes. And yes. the anxiety and the, the OCD. But what is stuff. that control doing for you? And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And so the food, the food rules, what you're saying is like, eventually those food rules that you're creating, they're going to create a space where you're either socially isolated because you can't like go out to eat or you can't do this or you can't do that. 
And what will happen is they can result in like actual extreme cases of anxiety and panic attacks. Mm, like yeah. somebody who, let's say that you decide that gluten is the devil, right? Okay, well, what happens if somebody touches you with a piece of bread or like you breathe around bread? You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I can't have that around, like, you know what I mean? And th- there's actually nothing that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but they create this belief around all this stuff because, and I think this is getting worse now because there's so much information out there that has nothing to back it up and we just believe it so much it's like that's why the danger of like get your health information from somebody who does specialize in that like get your food information from a dietitian not just a doctor (coughs) because doctors when they go to medical school i think they probably have like what four days of nutrition a dietitian does that for four years yeah and so they're going to actually know the truth about what all this stuff does in your body also, your orthorexia, I would imagine a lot of times this idea of just wanting to like live like a clean lifestyle turns into, and then they accidentally now have anorexia, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's really scary. Um, there's also going to be an obsessive concern over the relationship between food choices and health concerns like asthma, digestive problems, low mood, anxiety, allergies. So just digestive system, digestive problems. That's a huge thing with like gut health and um, all IBS and what is that leaky gut thing? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't really understand what that even is. But <laughs> <laughs> like it's like I'm going to solve all of this stuff through like food, which is great. Like food can be a medicine, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't have to be the only medicine. And yeah, I don't like say really too much because again, I'm not. Back to this yeah. place of like are you using this food as a tool for whatever? I, I keep wanting to go back to this phrase of being healthy, but I hate that too. Well, I think but that's is, what they're doing. Is yeah. food being a tool or is, is the food actually backfiring and controlling you? And this is the thing. If you are controlling your food to control an actual issue, mm-hmm. are you doing that by your, on your own? Or are you doing that because you have medical advice, mm-hmm. like actual advice from an expert that's saying this is this? Because that's just like us, like web MDing any other thing and being like, oh, I had this pain in my finger. I looked on WebMD and that means that I have colon cancer. I think I'm going to start this treatment that says that it's a safer form of radiation. Um, and I'm going to just sit in a mud bath with like live crickets. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, anybody can crazy. say anything does anything. <clears throat> like the episode on diets, like celery juice, like the guy who's made that a big thing prophesize that he could like heal whatever through celery okay you like he has no information to back that up yeah it kind of reminds me of okay so before i had my wisdom teeth out some it's my senior year of high school so let's provide some context for how old i was like 17 and before i had my wisdom teeth out somebody told me they were like pineapple is a natural anti-inflammatory and so i was like i wanted to go to this concert the night i had my wisdom teeth out so i needed i needed this to go well and so I was like, okay, pineapple's a natural anti-inflammatory. The way I am, like, I do everything to the max. So I'm like, I'm going to eat the shit out of this pineapple, okay? <laughs> so I eat this pineapple the day before. I get my wisdom teeth out. And you better believe that night I was out partying at this concert. So what do you think I did? I was an evangelist. Pineapple <laughs> is an <Save> anti-inflammatory. <laughs> like, eat pineapple before you have your wisdom teeth out. And you won't have swelling and it'll be so easy and it'll be so amazing. Yeah. 
when really like it probably had nothing to do with the pineapple it probably just had to do with my body or maybe the surgeon who took the wisdom teeth out or like whatever but that quickly like I had lots of people in my life doing this oh my god um because I was like it worked for me it really must be the thing to do the thing to do yeah and so so quickly that's like what happens with the our diet health craze culture is it's like something worked for one person and then it becomes and everybody's different Mm -hmm. everybody's different just because doing this helped this person heal this rash on their skin it doesn't mean it's going to work for you and don't keep doing it until you think one day it's going to work it might not ever work Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i think i mean there can also i mean with that there can also be irrational concerns over food prep um Again, what kinds of foods, what's done to the food before you get it, where you get your food, washing your food, like utensils that you use, like ways that you um, cut your... I mean, there's a million things we can get into that. Um, But I think that what I want to do is just tell people like warning signs. Warning signs, yeah. That would be helpful. Yeah. And, And if there's any that you think of that I don't mention that you've seen or heard of, I want you to throw those in. But... For you guys, like, just warning signs, symptoms of, like, this might be something that you want to look out for yourself or somebody that you know. Um, Compulsive checking of ingredient lists and nutritional labels. Um, An increase in concern about the health of ingredients. Um, Which, yeah, it's like, I remember when there was all this stuff about high fructose corn syrup. Mm. Of, like, that was the devil. And then people were like, you should use agave syrup and then that became the devil and then you should use pure maple syrup but only the it was like a or b and like so yeah it can increase concern about like the health of certain ingredients um cutting out an increasing number of food groups so like yes. cutting out all sugar all carbs all dairy all meat all animal products um an inability to eat anything but a narrow group of foods that are deemed as healthy or pure. So, like, think about clean eating. Like, a cup, like that, I think, got really big, like, 10 years ago that mm-hmm. I saw. Um, uh, unusual interest in the health of what other people are eating, too. Yeah, of, like, I were, see this a lot yeah. because of their own anxiety and fear around mm-hmm. whatever it is for them, then having that fear show up with mm-hmm. other people. Yeah, um, that, like, they might not even have, yeah, have the issues that, like, somebody you're dealing with, like, mm-hmm. health-wise. Uh, spending hours per day thinking about what food might be served at a certain event. Mm-hmm. So being really anxious around that. Um, showing high levels of distress when safe or healthy foods aren't available. Obsessively following food um, or healthy lifestyle blogs on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Getting too many magazine subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, <clears throat> body image might be there it might not Mm -hmm. i also will say these can all be symptoms of other disordered eating behaviors as well the only thing Um, i would add to there also is like the constant like trying of the newest thing yeah um and so maybe it's not even the newest fad thing but the newest thing for them new information that came out that like you can't eat this anymore this week or like not even this week but this season of life i'm gluten-free and then this one i'm only doing the carnivore diet and this like now oh i'm trying all these certain herbs and then this time i'm only drinking this certain water or whatever like it's always this newest thing to be even healthier than they were and the question that i would want to ask these people is what is this doing for you Mm -hmm. like what is this control doing for you Mm -hmm. because again it's not about the food Mm -hmm. like it's not about the cleanliness of the food it's not about the pesticides 
mm-hmm. that they use. Like, what are you, one, afraid of? And what are you trying to control? Like, what is it that you really need? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at it, I have someone very close to me suffering from this. And, like, to watch that person walk through this and really struggle, they might look really good and they might say that they feel really good but when it comes down to it I'm like man they don't have any freedom like this is totally controlling their lives I mean I think I've already said this but this is what I've seen as the most socially accepted if not praised Mm -hmm. ways of disordered eating which is really frustrating and hard um, to sit with a lot of times for me I mean it is glorified and the more we see something normalized, the more we're normalized to it. So then mm-hmm. again, just with like the shapes of bodies we were talking about, the more we're seeing like this being an okay way to live, the more that we're like, okay, I guess they're right. Everybody else is doing it. Or there's this many accounts that are saying this or this like, and so, yeah, I think that like we, there needs to be a, uh, which I think there is, mm-hmm. but a drive also to kind of and maybe I think this because these are the kind of people I follow, yeah. right? Like I, we need more people advocating that like this is, this actually is not a way to find freedom and, and quote unquote health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of like literally my favorite quote, which is there's, it's no measure of hell to, to compare yourself to a profoundly sick society. Amen. So I think it's continuously asking yourself, like, I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time with whatever space it is. I used to do a lot more speaking than I'm doing currently, but I would hear in college campuses of like, oh, well, my drinking's not that much worse than hers or whatever. And I'm like, one in four of you all already meet the criteria for addiction, basically. And 50% of you are like one criteria away from meeting it. So like, if you're comparing yourself to the next person... They're probably really sick. Yeah, it's not great. I don't know what else to tell you. So as we, like, that's the thing I would ask, even as it comes to food, is like, do you think as a society, this is going well? Right. And if so, I guess continue to compare yourself to society to gauge how you're doing. Mm -hmm. But if you can agree that society as itself is really um, not doing super well, then I wouldn't encourage you to compare yourself to that. Right. And society can be at large or like whatever kind of closer groups you are within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is what, earlier when I was like, oh, that statistic that I'm going to bring up. In 2017, they did this study that I was talking about that 49% of people who followed health food accounts, which I think we do that not as a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to follow that. So 49% of those people have symptoms of orthorexia. So it's like, we're all, again, we're all in this together of like, we need to start normalizing healthy, healthy eating can look a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And my healthy eating doesn't necessarily have to look what like your healthy eating. I could go on, I think, and we could go, we could do a whole episode on orthorexia. And I Mm -hmm. think maybe we'd will one day. And I would love to get um, a dietitian in here to come like speak more about the things that I can't. But yeah, I think that was like most of what I had on that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this just involves like even as people are listening, hopefully it was informative and that sort of thing. And the other thing is, is like what we're asking you all to do is really be honest with yourself about your relationship with food and with your body right. and what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so that's really what it's about is like, you're not good, bad, right or wrong, but like, is your relationship with your body and is your relationship with food working for you? If you're really being honest. Yeah. 
Um, and if it's not, there's so much more freedom to be had and yeah. healing. Like you yeah. don't have to live like this. Right. Right. And, and yeah, n- here's the other thing. Not everybody has disordered eating or an eating disorder either. So we're not trying to shame the world. Mm-hmm. But even if you don't struggle with all of these things, again, you probably know somebody who is. And it's really nice to have information around like what that actually looks like. And I will say this, that I think that it's really powerful to like step up and kind not confront I want to use the word care front, but I used to hate when people well, would say confront, that. But... I will defend the word confront. Why do you have like an acronym of like what the... Merriam-Webster definition, I can Google it right now, but I'm pretty sure the definition is something about to look at something face to face. So it's not, yeah, it's not so... so it doesn't mean you're going to go like punch somebody in the face with the truth. Right. But just to like look at something face to face. Yeah. Um, where I, you know, I worked at treatment, one of the therapists would call confrontations carefrontations. And I was just like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I understand. It's, it's cool. It's, it's a sweet way to say it. But what I was trying to say is like, it is really powerful. And I think that it's, I think one of the most um, vulnerable things we can do is like speak to somebody, what something that we see, mm-hmm. and um, if we love them, to kind of like let them know in that way. And so, if you do see some of these behaviors, we can do some content around like how do you talk to somebody that you see is struggling. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: it doesn't always go well because I know I had a friend at, um, who was struggling with an eating disorder um, when we were in college, <coughs> and I wasn't even in going to that school, but I did notice it, and it mm-hmm. was it was pretty scary for me. And I remember being so scared, but I was like, why is everybody, nobody saying anything to her. And so I sent her a Facebook message. I think I probably could go back and find it. And she kind of responded. I don't remember how, but it was like, I'm fine. Like you don't need to worry about me. Um, thanks anyway. And Mm -hmm. never brought it up again. And I, I assumed she was maybe mad at me. And then like a couple years later, she was like, I just want, to let you know that like when you said that thing to me that was really meaningful and although I didn't want to admit it then I wanted somebody to see me yeah like at the end of the day that's what people really want that's what I want that's what you want that's what people want is to be seen and some really great language I think that people can use around it is just like hey like it just doesn't seem like you're living like the fullest version of your life or you know, it seems like you're struggling with this or I noticed this, or even if you like don't want to go into that or I'm concerned, but then some of my favorite language like to use for myself and to use for other people is this isn't sustainable. Right. Because sometimes like what we're doing in the short term, like might be air quotes working. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really like, is this a sustainable way for you to live for the long term? Right. Um, yeah. And most of the time that helps people see like oh this isn't sustainable because you're not telling them like it's not working right now or it's gonna not gonna work but yeah is what you're doing sustainable for you being the best version of yourself yeah yeah and it it, it, yes and a lot of times when you're in it you don't want to see it like you don't want to see it because maybe Mm -hmm. it's worth so again it's a lot easier for us to say this stuff than it is to actually like do the challenging work to acknowledge and find some, um, a little bit of change. So I think really my hope for this episode 
was really just to start getting the information out and talking about these things like they should be talked about. Like, Mm -hmm. this stuff should be talked about just as much as we talk about cancer. It is just as prevalent. So why aren't we talking about the warning signs? We talk about how to screen for breast cancer. We have to get, like, people have to get mammograms. Like, what is it? Like, do you do that every year once you turn 40? I don't know. I don't know. I try to block that out. There's all these screens for all these other things that we have to do of, like, we should be screening for this stuff too. And Mm -hmm. it. I want it to be normalized to talk about it. Um, and in closing, I kind of want to read something. Do you mind? Yeah, go for it. Okay. It does. It actually, it was something on my, um, uh, Instagram and I wasn't even thinking about it in regards to this, but it was just a quote that I, um, posted and it, the picture said, lying is not better than silence, which I got from a Chelsea Cutler song. (laughs) And then underneath I said, mostly because we have this radical third option called being honest. And in it, I wrote, um, it really bums me out when I hear stories where the option for truth becomes the last resort. I believe at times we think that swerving around honesty is the best thing to do. I just wonder how positive change can happen if everyone is always in the dark about what isn't working. When it comes to human relationships, both lying and silence delay an opportunity for growth and healing, which really sucks because these are things that are necessary to live fully in healthy relationships. And I will add now, fully in ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. You may think that lying is a way to protect someone's feeling, but feelings, but what lying is actually saying is, I don't believe you are strong enough for the truth. And you may also think silence is protecting you from unnecessary conflict or confrontation, but what silence is actually saying is, I am not strong enough to tell you the truth. Mm. So let's start giving each other some more credit. We can do challenging things. We can hear challenging things. We can say challenging things. Until then, I hope for moments where honesty is valued over comfort. I hope for stories where authentic intimacy includes our integrity. And lastly, I hope for relationships where the love for one of other, one, our love for one another trumps the desire to maintain peace. Amen. So, yeah, I just say that in that, like, this is hard stuff, but like, we're so worth talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All I got are we done here? I think we are for We for don't know today. how to start and we don't know how to finish. <laughs> um, but I once yeah. heard that people finish the same way they start. So at least we're being congruent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much. I know this was probably a longer episode, but it's so necessary. And if you have any more questions around this topic, like send them to us. We would yeah. love, like eventually we'll probably do like a Q and a episode where we mm-hmm. just answer questions that you guys have. And so, let us know. And if you want, if you have questions around, okay, I, I notice I have these things. What do I do? Like message us. Like yeah. I love helping people find help. We will help you. Yeah. All right. Peace out. Rainbow trout. Peace. Love. Friends. <laughs> you feel it. Like You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. 
Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.